0: Welcome one and all to episode 342 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Max Wolf out of Heidelberg episode of the SLS cast because it turns out that uh, there was a large main belt asteroid back in 1982. I'm sorry, 1892, because I can read. Um, that was discovered by a guy named Max Wolf in Heidelberg and it is the first asteroid to receive the name of a male god and that male god somehow is called 342 and dimion and with that really weird knowledge about an asteroid i of Gorzy Matt, and once again making his triumphant return from the sunny California region would be our resident Sony employee.
1: Tim, it sounds like I have to go this much higher than you. <laughs> Tim, Tim, Max Wolf from Heidelberg. What a mouthful of a badass name that must have been in the the, the late eighteen hundreds.
0: I'm I'm thinking so. I'm thinking he just went up to the ladies and it was like Hello women. My name is Max Max Wolf. I'm from Eidelberg. And they probably just like the the panties just dropped. I mean, that would have been probably what happened.
1: <laughs> Ooh Greta, did you meet the Max Wolf? Or Wolf? Max Wolf? Oh boy. What is Wolf uh. in? In, in, like, how do you say wolf in the Heidelberg region?
0: I don't know. I, I, I like the way we say it. Let's just go with that. Wolf. wolf. Uh, <laughs> we'll just go with it. Oh, I automatically
1: man. go towards Mel Brooks whenever I try to do some sort of German accent. I assume Heidelberg is, it, shit, I, I'm kind of blanking. He, is Heidelberg Germany? I haven't really been thinking about. Uh it is European. It geography. Is.
0: I thought it might have been Swiss, but um yes, apparently Heidelberg is a German city and it is a university town in the Baden wurttemberg no wait, Wurttemberg, there we go, Wurttemberg, situated on the river Neckar in southwest Germany. It is located about seventy eight kilometers or forty eight miles south of Frankfurt.
1: I'm impressed. You know this off the top of your head. It's amazing.
0: I, I I do what I can with my random bits of knowledge. There's a reason why I am your phone-a-friend on whatever recent version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire should pop up.
1: As long as uh, Wikipedia is handy, of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, agreed. So, how the hell are you? I is your, is your left hand a little heavier now? You know, I don't know if it's
1: because I got myself a rose gold ring. It didn't go for the full eighty three carat or whatever is the most common carat to get for your wedding band, um, but it it feels quite nice. You know, it's like whenever you find that perfect knife or that perfect. Dining room fork where you can just balance it on your finger and you're like, you know what? I'm going to use this fork every day until the day I die. I just might wear this ring every day until the day I die because it just fits that nicely.
0: And it has nothing to do with promising to do that. So it's good. It's good that they kind of feed into each other. A little symbiotic relationship there. Exactly. So
1: I'm glad Zales pulled through. If not, I, they would have been. They would have been the cause for my divorce.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, fair enough. So yes, that's right, folks. I know that uh, you've been listening and getting all caught up on the That's Entertainment trilogy and talking, uh, listening to us talk all about the wonders that were Ray Harryhausen and even filling in for Tim with blaine and all of the wonderful last batman standing stuff um but we're back we're back we're here refreshed married employed everything is coming up roses i think and we have got much much ground to cover so um is there anything special you want to tell us about before we get into it tim or are we just gonna Oh, are we just going to save these stories and fun times like golden little nuggets?
1: We should save these golden little nuggets for other times. But before we begin, I just wanted to tell you, Matt, uh, you being one of my groomsmen and actually being the groomsmen uh, during the wedding uh, reception where you gave the speech, uh, <laughs> you did an excellent speech. And one of these days, if... I mean, I'll never post it online, but one of these days, if if our favorite listener out there got to know us so well that maybe you bought us a lot of beer, we might, I just might show you uh, Matt's uh, uh, non-best man speech at, at my wedding. It's definitely one of the best ones I've ever heard, uh, and I, I couldn't have imagined it going any better or being any different. So you did a great job, and I just wanted to say thank you again uh, for doing that.
0: Well, it was truly really honestly, brother, from the bottom of my heart. Um, it was my pleasure, so I, I was happy to be there and happy to do it and I mean not for nothing but you have a you have some great tastes in friends, and I don't say that lightly as joking about me having been there, but um, I mean I really truly feel like I've made made some friends for life out of your groomsman and that that's a powerful statement, so it's just a tribute, again, to you, man, seriously. Um, I do have one quick question, though, for you and the newly final upgraded significant other. Um, have y'all had a chance to see the wedding video yet, yeah. like from the reception and all that?
1: Yes, and let's save this story uh, for <laughs> next week.
0: <laughs> okay, good. Was Were they on there? Okay, good. They, I just, they were. I, needed
1: to, I just needed to know. <laughs> I, I will say this. Well, no. Okay, I'll save it for. I, I, okay, actually, no. A, a little preview. It uh, Matt has a cat, and also, yeah! and also, um, the only portion of his speech that made it on the the, the edited Blu-ray, the edited movie that they made, um, was literally four words, and that's it.
0: Oh my gosh! The whole wait the speech at the reception. And that's not in there, but the other one is? Yes. The, the four-word thing is in there, but not the actual reception one?
1: Yeah, but we have other, like, there's other virgi- virgins. There's other versions of our wedding video that the videographer edited together. Think of it like there's the theatrical edition, there's the director's cut, mm. there's the extended edition. You just didn't make the theatrical cut. <laughs>
0: oh! Whoa! Yay! Uh, Okay, well then, yeah, you're gonna, you, uh, especially with, with it not making the theatrical cut, that's kind of poetic justice, and you'll have to, we'll have to talk about that later. Okay, well good. I just needed to know just for kicks, um, and that's, that's good. Okay, yay. So, without further ado, (laughs) uh, we should get right into it, and I know that I had promised you news, but there's just been so much that it's happened it's been hard for tim and i to figure out where we're going to draw the line about what we want to talk about what the big themes are so i think news is going to be next week and this week we're doing a very special uh double combo uh extra fat edition of copycat throwdown and we'll do that now it's, it's it's the the copy copy, copy cat cat, cat throwdown. throwdown throwdown. That's right. It's the copycat throwdown. Well, that's, that's right. right. It's, it's the, the, the copycat, copycat throwdown. throwdown. Stop it! Stop, stop it. it! No, no, seriously, stop it! Oh, right, like stop repeating. Stop repeating. Right. Oh, okay. I'm gonna I'm kick gonna, your around All right, so we have got, uh, like I said, we're doing a double dose for you, and it's all Disney. It's a Disney double dose. Look at the alliteration here. All right, we've got the Aladdin movies from 1992 and 2019, respectively, and then, of course, the Lion King movies from 1994 and 2019, respectively. Uh, Do we want to do them in alphabetical order and start with the Aladdin ones there, Tim? Of course. uh,
1: Chronological and alphabetical.
0: Ooh, it's a... Double order aspect. I'm telling you what, we're just kicking some butt here. Um, All right, kicking some aspects. (laughs) We're we're going in with 1992's Aladdin. Now come with
2: us and enter a whole new world beyond your imagination, where a boy discovers a magic lamp and a genie who can make all his dreams come true. Give you such a crick in the neck. Whoa! Wow. So what'll it be, Master? I must have hit my head harder than I thought. Walt Disney Pictures presents Aladdin. You're a genie? That's right. He can be taught! You never feel like me. Imagine a whole new world of excitement. Imagine Carpet. Danger. Oh, carpet, let's move! And enchantment. It's the story of a poor boy from the streets and a beautiful girl from a palace. Princess Jasmine. They were two very different people. The law says you must Must be be married married to a a prince. prince. Brought together by one incredible wish. What is it you want most? There's this girl. Pretty? Beautiful. C'est la mode. But she's the princess. To even have a chance, I'd have to be, say the magic words, genie. I wish for you to make me a prince. Alright! Hang on to your turn, Kid! We're gonna make you a star! Prince Ali But the evil sorcerer Jafar has learned the secret of Aladdin's power. He has the lamp. And he'll stop at nothing to steal it away. It's time to say goodbye. Coming this holiday season, Walt Disney Pictures, Aladdin.
0: You ain't never had a friend like me. Alright, so obviously you know what 1992's Aladdin was, uh, which is the big fantasy film that was animated and it's part of the Disney Renaissance and it's Robin Williams as the Genie and of course Steve from Full House as Aladdin and, uh, you know, playing Prince Abubu according to Jafar and let us not forget that, um, Gilbert Gottfried is our wonderful Parrot Iago Um Then we have this one Which is from 2019 You stumbled upon an opportunity I can make you
2: rich Rich enough to impress a princess What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders Bring me the lamp Great one who summons me. I stand by my oath loyalty to wishes three. I'm kidding. Watch this. Watch out! Uh. You done loud me up!
0: You ain't never had a friend
2: like me. Hey, can you make me a prince? There is a lot of gray area in make me a prince. I could just make you a prince. Oh, no. You look like a prince on the outside, but I didn't change anything on the inside. Showtime. No, I'm in charge, okay? I say when it's time. I thought a princess could go anywhere. Not this princess. Do you trust me?
0: probably noticed that it sounds plot wise and kind of how it lays out the scenes you're listening to very much the same that's because it is it's the same movie now they did add uh, a song from the musical that jasmine gets to sing which i feel kind of changes the agency for her character and in and of itself, I don't have a problem with trying to redefine the gender stereotypes and turn that paradigm on its head. Uh, but my problem is in the this. The song particular, sucked? Honestly, I didn't necessarily feel that the song in and of itself sucked. I think it was completely misplaced because. Wait, before, the movie, before you say that though. Hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I think it might be important to mention that. Um, as you've seen in the animated original Aladdin film uh, Mm -hmm. audience I'm talking to, our favorite listener, even um, that, decisions are being made for the princess Jasmine. You know, she, her suitor is going to be regulated by, or, or the, the, the person delegating which suitor she's going to take pretty much is going to be her father. Even he's just kind of a nice little portly man. Um, and then Jafar is trying to twist things around. So everybody's trying to make all, even Aladdin is trying to make all these decisions, uh, for, uh, for, um, for Jasmine. So, What they do in the live-action film is they give her a female empowerment song um, in the key of Let It Go from Frozen, (laughs) I felt, to where, and maybe a little bit of, like, Taylor Swift or Beyonce action in there where she literally is, like, kind of walking around in slow motion and kind of singing all prettily and prettily. Pretty nicely in a pretty fashioned, I guess. And then all of a sudden she turns around. And she goes, "I am strong. I am strong. Nobody's ever gonna tell me what to do. I am strong." You know, something like that. I don't know. I mean, you kind of get the gist. It's it's strictly in the film yeah. to give the songs her, called "Speechless." For whatever. Oh, speechless. It's worth. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna be rendered speechless. I'm not gonna <laughs> be rendered speechless. something like that the whole point of this song being in the movie is supposed to act both like a female empowerment song a catchy disney song for little girls to latch on to and also to show the audience that jasmine is a strong you know female princess character
0: sure and again i um I think that if you want to look into the subtext of even 1992's Aladdin, uh, they do address the fact that a woman should be free to make her own choices, and that's kind of the whole you know b-plot of aladdin not not just with the genie and everything but him trying to make himself available to jasmine to be able to get married uh this one she wants to be the sultan and everything they've kind of amped it up my problem isn't that they want to increase her agency or that they want to have some kind of empowerment my problem is is that the movie isn't called jasmine the movie's called aladdin and it's not her story with which to do that it's aladdin's story and if you want to have aladdin learn that lesson i'm okay with that i'm not okay with just plugging it in for the sake of plugging it in because i feel it turns what could have been something that was legitimately powerful for a woman or for a young lady growing up and watching this for the first time in 2019 for whatever reason the four people that that's going to happen to um then they're turning it into pandering and it bothers me so greatly because of that now if beyond that you want to poke fun at the song and the fact that uh speechless is the new let it go (laughs) maybe you should be speechless about letting it go i don't know maybe when you let it go you're speechless i don't care um then we can you know we have that discussion i just really think it hurts the it hurts the movie overall not because we shouldn't have those things but because the movie isn't called jasmine the movie's called aladdin um so for me this one is an easy one um as much as i found myself actually chuckling and and enjoying the 2019 i didn't think that i would i thought the even despite the fact that uh, they do have a reason for Will Smith to appear not blue. Uh, I thought that was well done. But at the same time, the Uncanny Valley was real. I didn't like it. Um, yeah, so I found myself chuckling. The, the, the 2019 remake is not the worst thing you're ever going to see. Uh, but for me, it's still hands down 1992. Uh, Tim, yay or nay, 92 or 2019?
1: 1992. Um, Because of this reason, uh, Guy Ritchie, and in some way, even nostalgia, but I I think I'm pretty good about leaving nostalgia at the door and just really basing my opinion on the quality of these two films. I remember I was four years old uh, when Aladdin 92 came out. And I remember I have a vivid memory of sitting in that theater and seeing the palace, the colorful gold palace of Agrabah, like on screen, and it just blowing me away. Because at that time, I've never seen color blown up, you know, on such a huge screen before. Um, and then, of course, as a kid, I got on VHS and watched it all the time, and was a huge, huge fan. Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. Is a mess. There are some wonderful music numbers. Uh, speechless is not one of them. There are some great uses of characters. Jasmine singing speechless is not an instance <laughs> like that.
0: <laughs> Don't hold back now. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> and
1: there's there's enough and and so there's and there's also enough of that pizzazz of this story. And of the performances, I thought once you got used to Will Smith's take of Aladdin, he was fun. Um, I thought the guy who played uh, Aladdin, his name is Mena Masood, uh, I thought he had a wonderful singing voice, and he pulled off Aladdin pretty well. And I thought Naomi Scott, who plays Jasmine, was beautiful and was a wonderful Jasmine. She had this wonderful like innocence to her and her in in. And with her voice had a lot of innocence as well. So whenever they sang the duet of uh, A Whole New World, it was absolutely wonderful. And it kind of took me back to when I remember first hearing that song and watching that scene uh, in the animated film. And I also thought that Marwan Kinzari, who played Jafar, did did a good job as well. He was a very good bad guy. But Guy Ritchie's direction was awful. And... I'm going to give one example that just kind of... And within that example of what I'm going to, you know, that I'm going to exemplify, I guess, uh, stuff like that just kind of carries over throughout the entire movie. But overall, I did enjoy uh, the film because of the performances and some of the music numbers that they did get right and story elements that they get right. Um, But uh, there is that Aladdin stealing the bread street rat song where he's running through the streets of Agrabah and the soldiers are chasing him and he's doing all these flips and trying, you know, going from jumping from one building to another. And it's supposed to be a high energy, um, fun song to introduce you to the character of Aladdin in this film. It is awful when you hear him singing You never actually see him singing. He's all—he's the stuntman—is over here jumping from building to building and doing all these crazy maneuvers, and you just—you look at it as if it's a fight scene, not necessarily a musical number. So the movie had great colors, and once the scenes set in, or finally, once the scenes actually start going, get going, it's easy to find yourself completely enveloped in this movie, like you're brought into this world. But whenever they have these big musical numbers, the movie does not feel grandiose. It doesn't have scale, like the whole introduction of Prince Ali. That whole music number has no scale. It doesn't feel big and grandiose and magical, unlike the cartoon does that absolutely wonderfully. And that is what annoyed me so much. It was so frustrating uh, 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 watching um, the remake of Aladdin because they did so much right with the casting and with some of these story elements and beautiful scenes, but man, they just failed at capturing the grandiosity and, and the magic of the original Disney film. So that is why... My winner of the copycat throwdown for Aladdin the Battle of the Aladdins is the 92 Aladdin
0: very cool all right we're in agreement there so moving quickly into 1994 we have the Lion King <laughs>
2: The great circle of life. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30-second full-length animated motion picture. The Lion King. He was born to rule. This will all be mine. Everything the light touches. (gasps) But a shadow lies over the kingdom. I will be king. Run away and never return. I don't
0: want to talk about it
2: He looks blue I'd say brownish gold No, no, no I mean he's depressed Anything we can do? Not unless you can change the past He grew up Hoping to leave his old life behind I know who you are You're Mufasa's boy You're the king King? Have you got your lions crossed? You know my father? Correction I know your father He died A long time ago Nope Wrong again! (laughs) He's
0: alive! And I'll show him to you. Father? You are my son and the one
2: true king. You see, he lives in you. You must take your place in the circle of life. Simba! It's a legendary tale filled with excitement (laughs) plus dozens of wonderful new characters. Why do I always have to save your... This summer, Walt Disney Pictures presents an entertainment event you will never forget.
0: Oh, who are we kidding, folks? Come on. Everybody knows. Uh, so when you're going to buy my pizza, brah? Right? All right. So we're going to do that, and that's the that's the animated version right and then of course you have the 2019 version
2: life's not fair is it my little friend
0: while some are born to
2: feast others spend their lives in the dark begging for scraps everything you see together in a delicate balance while others search for what they can take a true king searches for what he can give run away simba and never return you must take your place
0: in the circle of life see once again sounds the same right i mean you know you've got this kind of whole aspect of everything being the same because it's the same movie now i will give credit to john favreau because obviously he had done jungle book and he did really well with that aspect of the cgi with the animals and everything and so the photorealism is there in the 2019 thing but um even though we have i kind of feel like a stronger cast in 2019 and of course we have the the amazing james earl jones who's come back and (laughs) redoing mufasa i i just it's just the same movie i mean it's the same movie with photorealistic animals and i think that if you're going to try and grow the movie and yes i know they're putting broadway musical elements into the remake just like they tried to do with aladdin to a certain degree and more with beauty and the beast it's still just the same movie there's not really anything that differentiates this movie from the other ones i really do feel at this point that the reason why we're seeing the movies we're seeing being remade in the style that they are is not because uh it's not solely because of the cash cow issue i think it's really just to get everybody used to the way disney's going to make their movies from here on out and they are going to leave the animation to pixar i think that animation as people have come to know and love and understand from disney is at this point dead and they're doing this to show you oh look how cool everything can be with our new style of cgi and doing live action air quotes live action with these with real actors and stuff and then this is just all they're going to do going forward and so with that in mind it still leaves me with the longing for the 94 version i don't have anything really nitpicky that i didn't like about lion king again i do feel that the cast is actually stronger this time around but it's just watching photorealistic versions of the thing of the thing you've already seen and for me that's just not good enough um You know, again, for the four people who've never seen the 1994 version, okay, maybe you're going to be into this. Um, But I'm still going to land on 1994 every time, at least from here. So, Tim, where are you at there?
1: What The Lion King 2019 got right is what Aladdin 2019 got wrong. And what Aladdin 2019 got right, The Lion King 2019 got wrong. Um, I was talking just moments ago that, Aladdin 2019 uh, uh, missed the grandiosity, the scale. The Lion King 2019 has great scale. And it has... I mean, it, it feels like you're there, you know? It has great, great scale, and it's absolutely beautiful. But it lacks those little moments. It lacks character. And I don't think this movie was entirely necessary you know uh, when an actor enunciates when they speak when they enunciate their lips their tongue touches you know a certain way moves a certain way people's facial features move a certain way so whenever you're seeing them speak and enunciate it just it makes sense to you that they are saying what you were hearing but the CGI character's lips don't hit all the right spots. The facial features don't move how, a, a, you know, how how a person's face would move when they're saying those exact lines. So it becomes distracting to me, you know. And I also felt like the movie, mainly Timon and Pumbaa, they break the third wall way too many times. And they make so many self-aware comments, even comments about the animated cartoon you know it's just they do it for comedic relief and yet the filmmakers are trying to make these animals in the scenery look and act and feel as real as possible so when you have Timon and Pumbaa making these fart jokes and and making these little comments about the animated film it kind of takes you out of the whole purpose of this film uh, trying to be as realistic as possible now i thought uh uh oh shoot last week tonight guy the british dude who plays the the bird he did a great job I thought he nailed most of his jokes, and I laughed quite a few times. For the most part, I enjoyed Timon and Pumbaa. John Oliver? Yeah, John Oliver, thank you. For the most part, I thought Timon Timon and Pumbaa did a good job. And of course, James Earl Jones as Mufasa, you got more Mufasa. I thought um, Ejiofor, who played Scar, was a wonderful Scar. I couldn't care less about Beyoncé, including Beyonce's new song that's featured in this movie as a montage. I didn't even like, uh, I'm blanking on his name, uh, Childish, uh, no, it's not Childish Game, Donald Glover. I didn't really care for Donald Glover as Simba because they didn't bring anything, not only do they not bring anything new to the film, to these characters, they didn't even come close to establishing or getting across any of that emotion that the performances and the characters got across in the original 1994 animated film. So this movie, what it does for spectacle, for scale, for excitement, it is just absolutely bogged down with poor performances, poor uh, character direction by John Favreau, and unnecessary comedic moments you know where they break the fourth wall and reference the original lion king uh and i mean other than that though i thought billy eichner and seth rogan did a fine job as timon and Pumbaa. i just wish they were a little bit more i mean not straight but they could have fun and goof around but there is just really no point to rely on callbacks you know than just you know just rehash even some of the same lines you know Continue to rehash some more of the same lines. So, of course, because of all that, uh, I, uh, I I choose the original 1994, uh, The Lion King. I mean, did any of like those jokes or whatever bother you at all?
0: Well, again, so I think you said I think you hit the nail on the head with the word straight. Um, th- there is the you have the idea of the straight man and the funny man and. <sighs> Um, a lot of the jokes you can use can be done in a straight, silly manner, but in this particular instance, it seems like everything was done at the expense to make sure it was going to be coming across as silly. Um, and so you lose a, you lose a lot of the, oh, the, the, um, I, I just completely lost the word out of my head. <laughs> it's not, uh, subtlety. Uh, you can, so you lose a lot of the subtlety in the humor. And there's a lot of fun that was found in the subtlety of the humor in 1994's version that is not present here. And you think, but wait, it's silly and cartoony. That's what. That's the beauty of it. The silliness and the cartooniness can be the visual aspect of it, which gives their jokes the ability to have some subtlety in them in the in the way that they're written. It, it lacks that here. And I think it's because of that photorealism. I think they had to try and land every single joke with every single kind of a callback so that nothing ever really became a straight line, funny line. It was all just working too hard to be funny. So I totally understand where you're coming from on that.
1: And did you care about Mufasa when he died? Were you saddened by his death? Because I sure wasn't.
0: <laughs> um, again... it's like i think that i like how you put it because as much as i enjoyed the cast which i will say again felt like a stronger cast on the whole the spectacle of him falling and doing the no right uh is there but the moment itself is lost because it's the exact same moment we've all seen a million times i think that is why you are having the issue that you have tim is that um, everything in that photorealistic manner with the with the spectacle and the ooh and the ah looks amazing because it's like holy crap it's not just the traditional animation that is using its form of art to kind of give you that grandiosity and gives you that kind of whoa it's amazing now you're appreciating it for wow the savannah must be the african savannah must be truly amazing look at how photorealistic it is But you're losing it against the backdrop of all the moments you've seen 200 million times, because the moments you're seeing are 25 years old and overplayed. If that helps, I I got your back, dude. I I totally know where you're. That's
1: all I gotta hear. I'm good.
0: (laughs) Cool. All right. So then we both agree that the Disney classics are better. Thank you for joining us (laughs) on 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 crap all over the remakes. That's right. Copycat throwdown. So, with that in mind, we've got a special version of the movies that we're going to get to and dig in right now. Are we not, sir?
1: Uh, yeah, we got to dig away. Why not?
0: Here we go, folks. It's The
2: Movie Wee we <laughs>
0: So since we're doing a movie catch up here all right and there's a lot of movies we're going to try and get caught up on uh we're going to do this in a bit of a uh slam poetry manner almost we're going to be hitting them very quickly talking about them very quickly you might not get full trailers but instead you're going to be getting like maybe a key scene here and there and our synopsis is going to be real tight uh so that we can get through one two three four five six at least six movies if not eight uh depending on the time that we have and first up is dragged across concrete
2: Hmm. A single red ant could have eaten it faster. You're losing perspective and compassion. There's a reason I'm sitting behind this desk running things, and you're out there with a partner that's 20 years younger than you. Anthony's got a mouth with his own engine, but he's solid. I'm thinking about the kind of future I can offer my girlfriend. Pops is a yesterday who ain't worth words. Good heavens and praise be to him. Your absence was a weight upon us.
0: Thank you, Mr. Edmonton.
2: I don't like doing things with so many question marks everywhere. There's a lot of imbeciles out there. This is a bad idea. It's all kind of candy. We have the skills and the right to acquire proper compensation
0: a 2018 american neo-noir crime thriller it's written and directed by s craig zoller and this is an ensemble cast but it does primarily feature mel gibson and vince vaughn Uh, you do still have tori kittles michael jai white jennifer carpenter laurie holden fred uh melamed udo kier thomas Kretschmann, and a brief cameo appearance by don johnson and what we have here are brett and anthony who are two uh cops who are basically working the concrete hence our title uh that are used that use a lot of uh police jargon if you will and they are caught up in a social media scandal due to an arrest that they made it was a it was a, a legit arrest but it was an over-the-top arrest they're on suspension they need cash gibson's tired of being a good guy who's just been crapped on his whole career and they decide that they need a piece of the pie from some bad guys uh cue the rest of this very slow burning thriller and i must say that uh i i really kind of got a vibe uh tim did you ever see the andy garcia movie it had christopher lloyd uh had i believe christopher walken was in it as well um things to do in denver when you're dead
1: No, but either you or somebody else told me about that movie.
0: It's a, it is also a very big slow burn film. And, uh, it's got the most badass Hitman performance I've ever seen out of Steve Buscemi, seriously. Um, but it's, but much like you hear a lot of very specific police jargon, it feels like it's kind of not quite forced, but it's definitely. To a certain point, I think overused, uh, especially with the whole percentage thing that they do in the in the movie. There's a lot of that in things to do in Denver when you're dead, except instead of it being cop jargon, it's uh, crook jargon. And so, it was interesting to watch that dynamic from this from from the cop side of the law versus from the crook side of the law. That being said, though, this movie is very, very long. And I think that in its kind of, in its kind of a homage to Hitchcock, who said, you know, you don't want to let the bomb explode. The audience is in it to see what happens as the clock ticks. If you let the bomb explode, you've let the audience down. Um, it, it, paraphrasing there and i think in that homage to hitchcock's theory they drug out the slow burn a little bit too long i really feel that this movie is damn near 20 minutes too long um and as a result i give it a four i think if this movie had been a little bit tighter the slow burns there and it's a great slow burn i mean a wonderful slow burn um, but by the time the finale really does come, I think that they just need to go ahead and let the finale resolve. But they continue to draw it out. And that's and that's why I give it a four. I think if it had been shorter, it probably would have been a four and a half or a five for me. What do you got there, Tim?
1: I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Uh, it's directed by S. Craig Zoller. And I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correct. Uh, but Matt... Uh, and I watched a film that he wrote and directed back in, or it was released in 2015, called Bone Tomahawk. Um, a couple years later, he did a great film, uh, the remake Brawl in Cell Block 99. Um, and then this is his third uh, directorial-slash-screenwriting effort. And I am very interested by this fellow. He, he writes very interesting characters, and his dialogue... The dialogue that he writes isn't doesn't make him sound like he's too full of himself. Like, yeah, it might be a little too much. He might be dragging it on for the sake of dragging it on, and he might be uh, having characters talk the, the way they talk and saying the things that they want to say just to drag the scene on and just to add a little bit more tension to these, to these characters. But never once did the idea pop into my mind that maybe S. Craig Zoller is a douchebag, <laughs> a prick full of himself, uh, because from the beginning of this film to the end of this film, it looked like both Mel Gibson and, um, and, and, uh, Vince Vaughn were having a lot of fun as well as the director. Um, I rented this film on Netflix, <laughs> the Blu-ray of it on Netflix, and they had a nice little documentary on the making of the film that I watched after I watched it. Um, and it's just very interesting. It was neat seeing um this director work and seeing these actors, um you know how they the the camaraderie between I guess the three of them. Uh, and I think it just definitely comes across on screen. It's a wonderful story. I love these characters, and though the movie's two hours and forty minutes, i think I think it's absolutely worth checking out. I mean, the end result despite what happens is incredibly satisfying because it's rather shocking, but it does make a lot of sense. Like it doesn't leave you pissed off because of what, of what happens because everybody puts themselves in this situation and it's an awful situation there and anything can actually happen. Um, It's tense. It's dramatic. It's uh, the, the, I mean, the action is, Fantastic. If I had to compare it to another film, uh, the pacing and the status, satisf- uh, the uh, and the and and, uh, uh, and how satisfied I felt after watching it, I would compare it to uh, the Ryan Gosling film uh, Drive, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, just without that cool 80s marauder soundtrack uh but for dragged across concrete i do give it a 4.5 out of 5 and i definitely recommend this one
0: awesome um okay and i certainly hope that my review did not make it sound like i thought that zoller was um full of himself or anything Uh, oh no 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 no. i didn't think so at all
1: okay (laughs) it's just there's just kind of like this preconceived notion that whenever you have a movie that's over two and a half hours long and it's a slow burn a modern slow burn uh, drama okay I see what you're if saying. you're not quentin tarantino then you must be full of yourself or trying to be quentin tarantino and this is gotcha. far from being a quentin tarantino movie
0: 100 percent agree also totally forgot that this was the same guy behind bone tomahawk excellent violence in that movie uh used as a tool for the cinema and then the remake of CellBlock 99, also very good slow burn. I enjoyed that movie a lot, too. Um, all right, so then moving on quickly, we've got John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum.
2: You do realize that I'm management now, right? I'm not service anymore, John, so I don't go around shooting people in the head. I'm not asking you to kill anyone. I just need you to get me to him. To who? Your old boss. You want to kill Barata? I'm not going to kill him. I just need to talk. What could he possibly give to you? Guidance. Look, I made a deal when I agreed to run this hotel. And that deal said that I had to follow the rules of the table. If you're not going to kill him, he is going to kill you. And then probably me too for walking you up in there.
0: Third entry in the franchise for John Wick. Now, it's been out for a while, so I'm going to go ahead and spoil a little bit because this is you are going to sit here and listen to the what I have to say and then you're going to listen to the rating, you're going to be like, "Wait, what?" All right. Lots of fun, really builds on the universe. Halle Berry's part in the film kind of giving kind of showing the give and take of the medallion system that was shown in or that was introduced in the previous film is something that i thought really added to it i think that the idea that the world is against him there you just really get that feeling of the pressure that he's under and how he is working his way around it i think the the desperation he shows when he when he works his way into the good graces by mutilating himself was a bit much i mean he's standing there in front of the guy he's john wick he could have just killed him right then and there and then been the man right um but no we didn't do that instead we go and do the mutilation thing we go back to new york and instead of just having a final getaway be done let it be its own self-contained trilogy they went for the money grab and they left it open for yet another sequel and it is that reason they did not have to do it they did not need to do it they simply wanted to do it now that they've realized that they've got kind of a cash cow going which means instead of leaving us wanting more they're going to leave us wondering why we watched it in the first place and it's going to ruin everything that they've done. I don't see any point in there being any other movies, and yet they're now coming. And now, because of the way they've done it, there's no reason for them to stop. And it's on the, it's on the back of that that I give this a 3.5. What could have been a very solid 4, maybe even more than that, is completely hamstrung by its ending and the obvious cash grab that they had. 3.5. What do you got, Tim?
1: This is a 4 out of 5 for me. I went and saw this film twice. Uh, The first time I saw it, after it, I was... I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it, because I still gave it a 4 even then. Um, But it felt like the violence was a little too much. And I love, love, love violent films, but... I mean, there's so much you can do with these long, drawn-out action scenes, and... When the one-two punch of the action scene is just to see somebody get stabbed or hit in the face with a hammer, or you know, just repeatedly tortured with some kind of unconventional killing device, I, it just made me feel a little put off. I, I, I guess. Um, so I went sold again, and I focused more on the characters and the storytelling, and more so the the look of the film. It's a fun movie. I like it. I am just worried that the next installment is going to burn me out. Uh, Because by the end of this film, I was a little burnt out. It just feels a little tiresome. And I don't know what else they can do with these one-on-one or John Wick versus an entire room of, of goons action set pieces that really they haven't done before because what i've seen in this film i've already seen some of this stuff done better in the first two john wick films i could be completely wrong so i haven't seen the first two john wick films uh in a little while but um at, at least when i was watching parabellum it just felt like they were rehashing some of these beats you know and I don't know if it was... I mean, I guess the same thing could be said with Jackie Chan movies, but with Jackie Chan movies, he. I mean, the story was at least a little bit different, and he took on at least a different persona, which made his films fun. There's only so much that a brooding uh, Keanu Reeves can do with John Wick, uh, and the inclusion of Halle Berry and the two dogs wasn't really that fascinating outside of giving the character and uh, the character of John Wick and the whole company uh, ordeal. I forgot what it's called. The the institution that he belongs to a little bit more depth. Um, But I do love the cinematography. I did like the bald headed, you know, lady, you know, she was just fun and spunky and, you know, had a lot of attitude and I liked how she interacted with, um, with with Dead Deadwood guy, the owner of the hotel, I'm blanking on his name as well. Um,
0: so, wait, but wait, I, uh, the I, owner, Ian McShane.
1: Yeah, yeah Ian McShane. Uh, but even Ian McShane, his he, I mean, it's Ian McShane playing another Ian McShane character. You know, where it's just Ian McShane, the character becomes Ian McShane, and I, I mean, how many times is he gonna say? excommunicado or how many times do I have to hear the people working the switchboard saying excommunicado? And, you know, it's just very like dramatic, uh, filmmaking, you know, trying to make these, these scenes, uh, more tense and more dramatic, you know, you have to show these wacky side characters doing their business within the movie. And, you know, it just feels a little bit forced, you know, forced world building maybe is a good way to put it but you know i still gave it a four i still enjoy it i'm just worried about it not really having that much uh replay value i guess in the future so
0: fair enough all right so then moving on from john wick chapter three we move into yet another unnecessary sequel (laughs) toy story (laughs) four uh Hey, howdy! (laughs) Hey there. Uh, sorry to bother you, but...
2: Why, you're not a bother at all. We were just out for my early morning stroll. And look, (laughs) we met you! My name is Gabby Gabby, and this is my very good friend, Vincent. Oh, uh, Woody. Pleasure to meet you. Well, it's nice to meet you, Woody. And you are... This is Forky. I'm trash. Uh, our, our, Our kid made him. Kid? Toys around here don't have kids. Are you two lost? Lost? (laughs) No, no, but we are looking for a lost toy. She's a figurine, used to be in that lamp in the window. Name's Bo Peep. Bo Peep? Oh, yes, I know Bo. You do? Hop on in. We'll take you to her. Oh, um, you don't have to do that.
0: (laughs) Well, okay.
2: Vincent, be careful with our new friends.
0: Oh, look, it's kind of this weird rehash of Toy Story 2 so is it toy story 2.5 i don't know i don't care um this is a movie that i am going to have to watch again sadly i had the worst theater experience i can think of in at least a year if not longer i missed about 15 minutes of the movie maybe even closer to 20 minutes of the movie while i was dealing with management to get the problem resolved in the theater that i was having Uh, and so that combined with the fact that I wasn't as into it to begin with before the issue occurred, um, and the issue in and of itself was just some kids in the row in front really just being annoying. Um, and so I just couldn't get into it. I couldn't really enjoy it. At the end, it really just felt like a complete rehash of Toy Story 2 with, elements of toy story three kind of thrown in for a bit of nostalgia feel um just as an excuse to say goodbye to characters that we didn't need to say goodbye to and characters that we had appropriately said goodbye to in the third film i think that they were really on to something with the little you know 30 minute specials every once in a while that they would put on abc uh like their little halloween special they did about a year and a half ago and like their little christmas stuff that they would do because it kept people invested it kept the kids watching they would have fun little side adventures and stuff that didn't need a whole movie Um, and so you could keep toy story in kids minds keep that merchandising up whatever it is you need for your bottom line but you don't have to sully the whole brand by making a completely unnecessary movie it just didn't seem to be worth the time and the trouble and the effort um I give this one... I I will go see it again with an open mind to try and really absorb it. So as for now, I'm just going to give it a 3. I kind of want to give it lower than that, but I don't think that's fair given my uh, level of distraction. The movie is not terrible. I just don't think it was necessary. And that's why I'm giving it a 3. So, Tim.
1: I had... Definitely a better theater-going experience. Uh, this was the first thing I watched since getting home from uh, the two-and-a-half, three-week vacation uh, off to Europe, and I, I I enjoyed it. I'm a sucker for Toy Story, and this was a nice send-off to Woody and Bo Peep. Um, I thought that the film was beautifully intricate, the art direction and the use of the shading, uh, which gave wonderful texture to the images and the characters is absolutely phenomenal um and all the details that you see on all the different toys you know the the subtle uses of showing wear and tear and also the lighting it was just really cool it gave a lot of neat depth to these characters um that you definitely didn't get to see or experience in the uh, original film. Um, was this film particularly funny? No, it was not. It is definitely character and maybe even more so story centric, um, but it was still a nice fitting and I felt worthy story for the Toy Story franchise, I guess. Um, and i kind of curious to see what And, you know, if they actually make another sequel and I'm pretty sure Tom Hanks is out of Toy Story now. So more likely they're going to probably follow Buzz and the rest of the people that kind of stayed behind, Um, which also includes Mr. Potato Head and like two other characters whose voice actors died. Um, So I'm wondering what they're going to do there. Um, But four point five out of five. I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, though. I didn't feel this movie was not even close to being as funny as any of the three movies um it it was just nice being in the company of old friends i suppose four out of five four point five out of five all right
0: well then very quickly let's move into spider-man far from home this is mr beck but you handled yourself well out there today saw what you did with the tower thanks they
1: were born in stable orbits Within black holes, creatures formed from the primary elements. Air, water, fire, earth. The science division had a technical name. We just called them elementals.
2: Versions of them exist across our mythologies.
1: Turns out the myths are real.
2: Like Thor. Thor was a myth and now I study him in my physics class. These myths are threats. They first materialized on my earth many years ago.
0: I was part of the last battalion left trying to stop them. All we did was delay the inevitable.
2: The elementals are here now, attacking the same coordinates. Our satellites confirm it. We have one mission. Kill it. You're coming with us. Mr. Fury, this all seems
1: like big time, you know, huge superhero kind of stuff and
2: I mean, I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, sir. Bitch, please, you've been to space.
0: This year, of course, 2019 superhero film, and of course we're picking back up now after Endgame, so if you haven't seen Endgame, you're going to want to maybe jump ahead about five minutes because this deals with a lot of the fallout from Endgame. Uh, We're also introduced to our newest, latest bad guy, Mysterio, which I thought was a pretty clever bad guy to come up with. Um, The problem with this movie is that it feels so, so very much like a couple of movies you have already seen. Um, Despite that it feels like these movies that you've already seen. Let's see here. Um, Maybe you've heard of Batman Forever, right? Maybe you've heard of The Incredibles. And I tweeted this out after I saw the movie. Um, whether you have heard of these movies or like them, you do get to rehash their villains in Spider Man Far From Home. Um, Mysterio is kind of like uh, the Riddler from Batman Forever. He's this disgruntled ex employee of Tony Stark. Um, and so he thinks, you know, oh, I'm unhinged, am I? Well, look at what I'm going to do. And then, of course, much like. Uh, the riddler's unhinged plan his is just as unhinged uh and then of course we need to kind of create the syndrome aspect right well we're gonna give them a superhero to believe in by me pretending to be a superhero even though i'm not i'm just this normal guy with advanced tech oh look it's syndrome yay all right so fine so maybe the incredibles ripped off the marvel universe first i don't know but just i feel like this complete rehashing of stuff that we'd already seen it was kind of pointless that being said the movie is still fun and it's still a great ride uh and uh i mean tom holland really brings it home as peter parker makes a lot of fun i was uh had a lot of fun also with john favreau in this one so i give it a 3.5 it's a decent flick Doesn't really add much to the universe, but I think this is probably the best we can expect. And I think it's a good change of pace, given the last thing that most people saw was Endgame. So, have the fun with it. 3.5 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim?
1: The special effects were pretty awful in this film, I thought. Agree. They changed... I forget exactly what they did in the last act of the film... Uh, But they wanted to change the last act because they wanted to tie it in more apparently to uh, to the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or whatever. And it just looked cheap. You know, the last episode looked cheap. And, uh, or not the last episode, the final act of the film just looked cheap. Uh, therefore, I just thought it just, it just meddled, muddled, meddled, muddled, muddied, I guess, the whole experience. Um, but overall, I still enjoyed the film. I like Tom Holland as Peter Parker. I like his story. Um, I normally do like Jake Gyllenhaal, but I think he was rather drab. Uh, maybe I'll watch it again now that I know what I'm getting myself into and and enjoy it even more, but... Still, I give it a four out of five. It's an enjoyable film. I probably should give it less, but I'm sticking with four because of how much I did actually enjoy it. It's very funny. A very funny film. And it elevates these core characters beautifully, especially MJ, I thought. Agreed. So despite uh, really shoddy technical effects uh, during the last half or the, the last act of the film... And the, even the underuse of Jake Gyllenhaal, although he may come back in the future, who knows, because did he really die or not? <laughs> Despite that, still four out of five.
0: Cool beans. All right, and then our final movie this week, we are not going to get time to get to those last two movies that I thought, uh, is going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hey, Randy. <laughs> well,
2: so you're still the wreck, huh? Still here. You in there? Yeah, just knock. Just, just look, just, just just put them in the wardrobe, all right? <laughs> What's it gonna hurt? Then if you need them, you got them, all right? <laughs> but then they gotta have a conversation with that wardrobe assistant. And man, she's a bitch. I just don't, right, please. Look, I... look, Randy, I'm asking you to help me out, man. If the, an- if the answer's I... no, the the answer's no. Not, not no with excuses. Hey, man. This ain't a Andy McLaughlin picture, you know. I and mean, I can't afford to hire a bunch of guys that smoke cigarettes and sit around talking to each other all day on the chance that I might use them. I got a four-man team here, Rick. If I need more than that, I got to get it approved. And, you know, I, I, I got to look after my dudes. Hey, hey, and if your dudes were a better match for me, I'd say, oh, okay, you got me. But, but, but that's not the case, and
1: you know it. He, he's a great match for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, no. Hey, no. you could do anything you want to him.
2: To throw him off a building, right? Light him on fire. Hit him with a Lincoln, right? Get creative. Do whatever you want. He's just happy for the opportunity. Rick? Yeah. I don't dig him. And I don't dig the vibe he brings on a set.
0: This is, of course, the ninth film by quentin tarantino it's the comedy drama film this one is uh, an interesting flick it stars leonardo dicaprio brad pitt margot robbie emile hirsch uh, margaret qualley timothy oliphant austin butler dakota fanning bruce Dern, and al pacino um and of course special appearance and narration by kurt russell uh what we have here is the it is the saga if you will the fairy tale or fantasy depending on how you want to look at it saga of rick dalton played by leonardo dicaprio and his best friend and stunt double cliff booth uh played by brad pitt who are having the misadventures that come with a fading television career um brought on by alcoholism and it is set against the backdrop of nineteen sixty-nine. This is clearly Tarantino's love letter to late sixties cinema and fifties television, which I think uh, is very evident and very well done. Um, on, but there is also again because it's got that kind of fantasy fairy tale element. There is this also darker backdrop of the Manson family and the Sharon Tate. Murders. Uh, this is a and I, and I think I use the word personally myself. I use the word weird. I think this movie is not for everyone. I still think it's fantastic. I think it's great. But I think that as great as this film is, and as much as I am choosing to look at it as what we wish we could have done, or what we wish we could have had happen to the manson family members who committed these awful tragedies back in 1969 which is considered to be by most historians and by most especially hollywood historians kind of the end of the free love era kind of the end of the innocence that was the free love movement and that kind of hippie aspect to things uh it i i think that it misses a little bit of the mark in terms of how it's utilizing what maybe we would have liked to have seen happen instead and have that fantasy element of what transpires in the film versus what transpires in reality it takes in, a, in its own way, it takes away from the story being told that of Rick Dalton and Cliff. And that is why I give this movie a four. I think that it is. it can be somewhat confusing, especially with all the hype behind it. And again, not by Quentin Tarantino, but just by the reporting, by the subject matter, by the time frames. I think it really did open up a lot of discussion, which is also good about the life of Sharon Tate, about um, about Hollywood back then, about how we look at things now. It's just, we really... I I just really think that the way it's portrayed in the film tends to take away from its A-plot, if you will. I mean, if you think of it as 50s, 60s TV, um, it's almost like it's an extended A-plot, B-plot. And sometimes your B-plot is necessary because your A-plot isn't as strong, or it's to kind of bolster that A-plot and build that tension. But sometimes your B-plot is just lacking, and it takes away from your A-plot and i think it kind of falls into that latter territory it's still a great movie i still absolutely highly recommend it uh, especially for tarantino fans but there are some weaknesses there and i think it's a four out of five and that's where i'm gonna stop there tim wrap it up and let's take it home
1: Yes, this is a 4 out of 5 movie for me as well. I saw this in Wonderful 70mm at the Cinerama Dome, which is briefly featured uh, the Cinerama F- Dome itself is briefly featured in uh, in in once in this movie, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it's still decorated. The outside of it, they kept it decorated uh, that same way for uh, this movie since it's playing there um, One thing that I really liked about the film is that Tarantino shot it in a way so that the audience is like teleported. To these locations, you feel like you can see every nostalgic thing. I mean, he did transform a huge portion of Hollywood Boulevard and other exteriors to look like exactly like they did in the summer of 1969. Um, But did they utilize it to their full extent? I'm not sure, since a lot of it is either Brad Pitt driving around or Brad Pitt and Leo uh, driving around. So a lot of the the cool intricacies just fly past the screen, unfortunately. Uh, But for a time, you were able to, when they were actually filming and they left some of the stuff up, you know, uh, since they were finished filming for that day, you could actually walk down the street and see it still set-degraded, decorated as um, the original... You know what what that street looked like back in 1969. It was pretty cool. Um, this is a memory piece for Tarantino as he grew up in Los Angeles, and he was between six and seven years old uh, in 1969. Um, that's why he made the movie uh, like this, where it feels more like a memory piece and kind of not really scatter shot. Well, I guess kind of scatterbrained a little bit, um, with the focus of the film not really. Uh, you know, I, I guess maybe un, uh, that that doesn't really what I'm trying to say. Um, the weight of the focus of the film doesn't feel like it should envelop the entirety of the film. I guess in um, the rest of the characters, he said that this film is supposed to feel uh, uh, as close to or closer to um, Pulp Fiction than any of his other films. I really don't think that's the case with Once Upon a Time in the Hol- in Hollywood because all the other side characters. Aren't as well written, aren't as juicy and meaty as all the other side characters in Pulp Fiction, in Jackie Brown, and in Inglorious Bastards, even. Um, really, the important people are Rick Dalton, Cliff Booth, and kind of, sort of, Sharon Tate. Um, but the movie just really revolves around these two guys. And the other ex you know the the other side characters are you know easy to forget or easy to let go I, I i suppose and to me that is a shame um the ending though doesn't totally sit well with me and really now thinking back on it it provided it, it proved to be more confusing i guess than exciting Uh, what did Tarantino hope to accomplish with altering the fate of Sharon Tate and and company, as well as the fate of the Manson family members who, you know, set out to kill the people that evening? You know, and also laughing at the Manson family death feels a bit awkward as, uh, you know, as does the oh well shrug, you know, of the films wrap up. You know, I get it. This is another Tarantino fairy tale, very much like, um, inglorious bastards but it doesn't hit uh the nail on the head quite as effectively as in Inglour- as he did with inglorious bastards um but it does go to say it does go to prove how well this movie succeeds um despite both um Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio being the sole anchor, you know, being the, you know, the, the anchor of, of of the film. Um, but yeah, they did great, 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 great. Four out of five.
0: Right on. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of the movies this week. Next week, we are going to cover the two movies we didn't get to this week. Um, I'm going to do a quick overview of Detective Pikachu, and Tim's going to do a quick overview of Rocket Man, and then I'm sure we'll also have some other summer recap stuff for you as well. And so, until next week, oh, I'm looking forward to these words coming out of Tim's mouth. I believe it's time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on!
2: Oh, stewardess. I speak Jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama. My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Got me some slack, Jack. Get say cutting hang sure wanna help, Jump he don't get the help. Say hang. Say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in here.
0: Well the music you have been listening to as always Has been brought to us by our music partners crew, Rise of Solus You can check them out at ReverbNation.com At Facebook.com Both Slash Rise of Solus As for us we have, of course the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me this is Matt on Twitter At NickTwit12345 You can of course come aboard That information to buy our win track down, 10, 10, On Twitter if that's your heart's desire Don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes And our favorite us on Stitcher Radio, As well as track us down on the old Not SoundCloud No 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 but we are now on Spotify, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, and of course, Google Play and other podcast directories. And so until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Will Smith, I could say this. We all want to be in love and find that person who is going to love us no matter how our feet smell, no matter how angry we get one day, no matter the things we say that we don't mean. Take care, Cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week.
2: Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, there we are, Monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Bye. Au revoir, monsieur. Monsieur! He's in